Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Last year, the Texas Rangers scored the third most runs in baseball. Which lineups could break out in 2024? Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank and Scott here on Wednesday, January 17th. Today on the show, we've got ourselves a bit of a Fantasy smorgasbord, lineups that could explode in 2024, position updates on CBS, and what I mean by that is talking about the new positions for this upcoming season, players that are utility only, SPARPs, which are good to know in head-to-head points league, so we'll run through all of that. Plus, some people have asked this in our in the past, what are our favorite fantasy baseball formats to play in? We play in all different kinds of leagues, shapes and sizes, so we'll run through some of those and uh, break down which ones are our favorites. Scott, today, Mm -hmm. or I guess yesterday, when you're listening to this, was a big day on the website. All of our 2024 rankings were made public. We all posted our first run of sleepers, breakouts, and bus articles. It's a fun time, man. We are approaching. We are approaching. Let's go. I would call this the official start of draft prep season. Once we get the full rankings up, first round of sleepers, breakouts, and busts, uh, it's time to begin your preparations if you haven't already. And I don't know about you. I think my sleepers article is pretty good. Haven't read you. You had busts the first time around, right? I haven't read what you wrote. And I it's good too, though. <laughs> Admittedly, I haven't read your article yet either, Scott. Uh, but I was thinking about it on. while I was writing up the intro. 
yeah, I really need to read their articles because I want to know who they have in there. So I have uh-huh. to check it out. Scott did sleepers, Chris did breakouts, and I wrote yeah. up busts. To me, busts are the hardest to write up every year because, let's be honest, you want to kind of take a glass half full approach on as many players as possible. You want to be optimistic, but for the 10 players I wrote up, unfortunately, uh, they are names that I will be avoiding at their current draft cost. Maybe that'll change once we get more ADP data. But again, all of our rankings and auction values live on the site, positional rankings, top 300s for both Roto and head-to-head points leagues, and our auction values are based on 12-team leagues with a standard $260 budget. I know everyone plays with different rules, but that's the standard, and that's uh, those are the, the values that we put out based on you know $260 budget. And you can check everything out at cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. We have a QR code. If you're watching us live on YouTube, you, you scan that, and it'll take you right to the website. Scott, let's jump in here with lineups that could break out in 2024. Every year, we have lineups that provide excess value, right, in terms of counting stats and plate appearances. We know the Braves and the Dodgers are going to be up there likely for the foreseeable future. They were last year. They were the year before that. My guess is they will be there in 2024 as well. But the Rangers, as I mentioned at the top, they were that breakout team last year. Uh, You look at what they did. Third most runs scored in baseball the year prior in 2022, the 12th most runs scored. So they took a huge leap up. We saw big numbers from Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Adolis Garcia, Even Jonah Heim, he led all catchers with 95 RBI. And this seems to be a yearly trend. Uh, Every year there's breakout lineups, Scott. If you look at 2022, the Mets were fifth in runs scored. Both Pete Alonso and Lindor finished as top 12 players that year. Uh, Back in 2021, the Blue Jays lineup went off, right? Vlad Jr., Bichette, they finished as the number one and two players respectively in the 2021 season. So our goal for today is to try and find those breakout lineups. And I will throw it to you first. Uh, You gave me three different ones, one being a dark horse, but your first breakout lineup shouldn't really surprise anybody, the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, it's a really buzzy lineup. And a lot has to go right, I'll admit. It's, it's, It's chock full of young bats, really more bats than they can find spots for. Uh, but that's kind of the gist of this exercise, right? Like, what could this lineup look like if everything does go right? And it could be awesome. It could be awesome because, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, Noel V. Marte, who if you've seen my top 100 prospects, he clocks in at number nine in that top 100. Great exit velocities, power speed. Of course, Spencer Steer, we saw him break out as a rookie. Matt McLean as well. And um, and that's not even mentioning, you know, Jonathan India and Jamer Candelario, who say they signed this offseason to kind of fill the veteran presence. Oh, I didn't mention, mention Christian Encarnacion, maybe the best pure slugger of them all. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of power upside. There's a lot of speed to get things going on the base paths. And uh, I could see it. I could see it emerging as an elite lineup. If it doesn't happen this year, it should happen sometime within the next couple years, just given the amount of hitting talent that they have there. The Reds were ninth in runs scored last year, mostly due to all those young players coming up and kind of hitting the ground running. The projected lineup, according to Roster Resource, 
this is just their guess. And roster resource, if anyone doesn't know, it's a tool on Fangraphs.com where they project starting lineups, they project playing time. And as of now, they have it, the Reds lineup as TJ Friedel, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer, Jamer Candelario, Jonathan India, Ellie De La Cruz, Noel Viamarte, Will Benson as the strong side platoon with uh, Stuart Fairchild, and Tyler Stevenson down at the number nine spot. Where's Encarnacion Strand? He's on the bench for now, according to them. Obviously, yeah. things can shuffle around. Really wish that Jonathan India would get traded. It's nothing against him. It's just would love that DH spot to just be open and, and not as much of a logjam. My only other sure. concern, Scott, here is are they too young? You know, is there an adjustment period for all of these hitters? Second year in the big leagues? I, I think there's a chance of that, but you mentioned yeah, if it doesn't course. happen this year. It obviously could happen in years to come. Yeah, it could happen. I, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged by them being as high as ninth last year, even with some of the growing pains these, these young hitters were enduring. The ballpark uh, helps for sure. The ball, I mean, it's the best, right? It's the best home run park in baseball and has been pretty much since the day it opened. So that is working in its favor. Uh, even some of the weaker points, some of the weaker names in the lineup there, like TJ Friedel and Will Benson and even Jonathan India, he's become one of the weaker names in this lineup, lineup now. What they bring to the table is on base skills, which are, are maybe the biggest predictor of scoring runs that there is. So they've got a lot of everything going on here. I, I will say, you, you know, you're bringing up Christian Carnacion strand. Where does he fit? I think he'll get his at bats for sure. Uh, but if Jonathan India sticks around, he'll also get his at bats. And will it create a scenario kind of like the Rays where the Rays have a great offense. They were a top five team that run scored last year, but we don't really feel the impact in fantasy as much as we do for, say, the Rangers because the Rays are constantly moving players in and out of that lineup. It's a lot of mixing and matching to get all those runs. And so hopefully the Reds don't go that way with the surplus that they've created uh, because we'd prefer, certainly for fantasy, the Rangers side of things, where I remember last year as it was playing out, going through where players rank over the course of the season and being like, gosh, why is that guy so high? And it was really just about the run in RBI totals. They, yep. they did so much to elevate Rangers hitters last year. And so, I, I mean, I think that's kind of the gist of the exercise is, is where could we potentially find sleeper or breakout picks just by virtue of their supporting cast. And I think if everything clicks for the, the, the Reds, if they get that first-round type outcome from Ellie De La Cruz, if they get that 30-35 to 35 homer season from Christian Encarnacion Strand, that 25-25 season from Noel V. Marte, uh, Spencer Steer really just repeats what he did, Matt McLean, same thing, then you're looking at a lot of runs for this lineup. Yep, and from Scott's number one breakout team, the Reds to my number one breakout lineup, the Red Sox, who were 11th in runs scored last year, and their projected lineup, again, comes from roster resource. Jaron Duran up at the top, Rafael Devers, Tristan Casas, Trevor Story, Masataka Yoshida, Tyler O'Neill, Willier Abreu, Vaughn Grissom, and Connor Wong. Just a big fan of a lot of the pieces in this lineup, Scott. You, you look from top to bottom, right? Devers... Top 20 hitter in all of baseball, arguably higher than that. They have a floor raiser in Masataka Yoshida who hits for contact. He hits for good batting average, modest power. He's going to be right in the middle of that lineup. 
I like breakout seasons coming here from Jaron Duran, Tristan Casas, who arguably already broke out, but I think there's another level for him to break out in 2024. And Willier Abreu, it was a really small sample size last year, but he did some really interesting things, big exit velocities. Even if he's only a strong side platoon player, he put up some big numbers in the minors as well. So some breakout candidates already there. And then you have bounce back candidates from Trevor Story, who gets a normal offseason after having elbow surgery last February. He you know, tried to rush back. And if you look at the numbers from when he returned, they were not good. If we're being honest, lots of strikeouts, low batting average. He did run. He did run a lot, which I like that from a fantasy perspective. I think we get a bounce back from Trevor Story. I like the additions that they made too. Tyler O'Neill, uh, getting him from St. Louis on the cheap with the green monster in left field, obviously plays up for right-handed bats. And Vaughn Grissom in the Chris Sale trade, right? I mean, Vaughn Grissom you know, was just a couple of years ago. It's so like arguably a league winner down the stretch, right, for fantasy. So I think there's a little power and speed from him, some contact ability, some strong batting average from Vaughn Grissom. And then there's prospects still like waiting in the wings, right, that that could get called up later on in the season. I think if everything clicks here, Scott, like 11th in runs last year, I think the Red Sox are a team that could push into the top five in runs scored in 2024. Yeah, I could see it. Now, there, it does take a lot of things going right. As we said with the Reds, I mean, it, 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 we're, we're, we're asking Trevor Story to recapture his form, at least from the end of his Rockies career. Uh, we're asking Tyler O'Neill to recapture the magic of that 2021 season uh, now that he's out of St. Louis. We're asking William Abreu to be legit. We're asking Vaughn Grissom to be legit. And I think, I think there are reasonable questions to be asked about both of them, whether they're going to be more than just decent, pretty good type players for fantasy, but uh, you don't have to squint too hard to see them becoming more than that. And, you know, some of their non-power hitters, like I'm, I'm looking at Yoshida and Abreu, Abreu actually could have pretty good power, but there are on-base skills to be had there. Uh, like I was saying for the Reds lineup, there are enough guys to get on base in between the power hitters. And the the one one guy I haven't mentioned yet obviously they have a star there in Rafael Devers, but they may have another in Tristan Casas who hit 15 of his 24 home runs in the second half. And while he was hitting those 15 home runs, he was slashing 317, 417, 617. That was Tristan Casas' second half. Oof. And, uh, you know, we got to get him playing against left-handers more regularly to fully live up to his potential, but seems like a lot of potential. And certainly the the prospect pedigree backs it up as well. And like the Reds, the Red Sox have a great ballpark to hit in Fenway Park over the past three years, according to StatCast, the second best park factor in terms of just offense around the league. So really good park. Um, again, like you said, a lot has to happen right here. And maybe I just got like my rose colored glasses on. You know, people might call me out for being a Yankee homer. Not a homer today, Scott because I'm looking forward to the Boston Red Sox lineup. I think there's a lot of breakout ability there. Let's move on to your number two breakout lineup here, Scott, and one that you sent over, one that I actually was going to choose as my dark horse, so I do like it quite a bit, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, same sort of deal as with the Reds and the Red Sox. There are a lot of young hitters who we could see breaking out in this lineup, Jordan Walker being the main one. Uh, But Mason Wynn, 
I think the jury's still out what kind of player he's going to be in the majors, but he's had productive years in the minor leagues and uh, appears to be appears to have the inside track on the starting shortstop job, even though his first stint in the majors didn't go so well. They like him defensively, great throwing arm, all of that. And of course, they have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado who are showing signs of fading, perhaps, but you know, but they're still going to be drafted in the top five rounds in fantasy. I feel comfortable saying Brendan Donovan is good on base guy at the top of the lineup. We don't think of him as having a big fantasy impact, but a better real life player than fantasy player. Lars Newbar, great on base skills. Uh, Nolan Gorman's another young player who could grow into grow into. I mean, he had a pretty big power breakout last year, but I think he could improve on that even. Uh, and you know, if some of those guys don't work out, I think. A player like Alec Burleson is pretty interesting too. Uh, they don't even really have a spot for him right now. So I, I just see a lot of potential for upside in this lineup. Doesn't mean every player is going to make good on it. I'll, obviously, some of these things may not go like we hope they go, and and then maybe the Cardinals are just a middle-of-the-road offensive team again. But I see the potential for them to to put up some serious runs this year. Yeah, I agree with that. The Cardinals 19th in run scored last year. I think there's a chance they can climb into the top 10. If everything works out, they could be top five in run scored. I don't think that's impossible for the Cardinals. Their projected lineup, according to roster resource, Brendan Donovan up at the top, Paul Goldschmidt, who is entering a contract year. I've seen some reports about the Cardinals and Goldschmidt talking about an extension. We'll see if that happens, but if not, he'll be playing out the final year of his contract. Lars Newbar batting third, Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker, Tommy Edmond, Mason Wynn. I think another big part of this lineup, Scott, is health. How healthy are their players going to be? Because Arenado dealt with some back spasms last year. A report recently that Nolan Gorman has battled back pain dating back to 2020 because of a weightlifting injury that he suffered. Lars Newbar limited to just 117 games Last year, Brendan Donovan limited to 95 games. Tommy Edmond had arthroscopic surgery on his right wrist back in October. So I think health is a big concern here as well. But if they if they manage to stay healthy, there is a lot of talent. We haven't even really talked about Wilson Contreras, who woke up in the second right. half, and his StatCast data remains awesome. Jordan Walker, you mentioned the breakout potential with him. I still think there's a really good player there with Lars Newbar. If that guy stays healthy for 140, 150 plus games, I think we could get a really big OBP, 25 plus homers, 10 plus stolen bases. And he's, he's going, I think, somewhere between 150 and 280 P. So I like it. Yeah, I, I am in on the Cardinals as well. Any concern over the health with this team? Yeah, sure. I mean, health and the fact that their they're two best hitters are you know, get, getting up there into their mid-30s at this point, Goldschmidt and Arenado. So I could certainly foresee a scenario where the Cardinals lineup turns out to be an absolute bust, but that is kind of the the other side of the coin when you're talking sleepers is uh, what allows the people to sleep on them is, is some of the downside risk. And yeah, there's some in this lineup for sure. All right, let's move over to my number two breakout lineup. And maybe I cheated a little bit, Scott. I chose the Philadelphia Phillies. They were eighth in run scored last year. So they were already a really good lineup. But again, I think this is a team that 
really could have that crazy counting stat potential, right? Could climb into the top three in runs scored. We're getting a full offseason now of Bryce Harper. Remember last year he had the elbow surgery, missed the first two months of the season. Trey mm-hmm. Turner got the first year mega contract jitters out of the way. It looks like he finished really strong. He had a great postseason as well. And it's a deep lineup too. JT Real Muto currently projected to bat seventh in this lineup. So it's a deep lineup. I'll read it off here. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott coming off a breakout season. JT Real Muto, final two, not as much oomph here. Brandon Marsh and Johan Rojas. But I see big, big potential here with this lineup, Scott. Yes, and I think... So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody listening is like, oh, the Phillies lineup. They're they're wondering whether the Phillies lineup is good. Everybody knows the Phillies have a good lineup. But I think what makes it a sleeper for fantasy purposes is that they may be underestimating how good it is in, in terms of accumulating stats, like you were saying, because of how much went wrong with it yeah. during the regular season last year. I mean, Bryce Harper wasn't right until the final two months. Trey Turner wasn't right until the final two months. Those are probably their best two hitters. Uh, Alec Bohm showed real signs of improvement. JT Real Muto had a down year. And he's getting older, so maybe he's not going to bounce back from it. But the point is there's upside beyond what they even showed last year. And what gives the Phillies lineup that potential to be the 2024 Rangers, what the Rangers were in 2023, what gives the Phillies the potential for that is that none of these guys are really platoon options. There there aren't there aren't alternatives to platoon with them. The Phillies don't have a lot of depth going on, so they're going to rely on these nine starters. And I'm not saying Brandon Marsh is always going to start against the righties, but for the most I mean start against lefties, but for the most part, everybody in the Phillies lineup is going to play every day. And that's going to lead some to some big run in RBI totals, uh, especially given, you know, the 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 quality of the hitters around each of those players. So I just pulled up, Scott, from August 1st on, where did the Phillies as a team rank in runs scored? Third. Third most runs scored from August 1st on, when Bryce Harper got right, when Trey Turner broke out. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the proof is in the pudding, as they say there. Uh, And I, I think your point about people will look back at last year's numbers and they'll be slightly underwhelmed by, you know, some counting stats totals from Trey Turner and Bryce Harper because he only played, you know, four months and... JT Real Muto had that down year, and I think it could create some buying opportunities. So I am all in on the Phillies lineup here in 2024. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get to each of our final two breakouts. These are the dark horse candidates. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball. Today, we are wrapping up our discussion on breakout lineups for 2024. Scott gave out the Reds and the Cardinals. I gave out the Red Sox and the Phillies. Now we move on to your dark horse candidate, Scott. The New York Yankees! Yes, I'm not going to give you a chance to be a homer because I'm going to take <laughs> it away from you. And, and what does it mean... What? How is it possible that the world could sleep on the Yankees lineup? Well, they were a bottom five offense last year in terms of run scored. They were dreadful. And so, you know, they, they haven't added much, but what they have added is maybe the most valuable hitter that could be added, short of Ronald Acuna, I guess, to a lineup, and that is Juan Soto, who, uh, as good as he is as a fantasy option, even more so in real life because of what he does to get on base, how often he gets on base, how often he's in scoring position. He is somebody who could, could have a transformative effect on this lineup. And so between him and Aaron Judge, if Juan Soto and Aaron Judge stay healthy, you have potentially two 400 OBP, 1,000 plus OPS guys in a lineup. And if they're in the lineup on an everyday basis, it's hard to imagine that lineup's not going to score a lot of runs no matter what else is happening around it. I do think there's upside beyond that. Uh, Alex Verdugo can be a solid hitter. Glaber Torres, we know, is a solid hitter. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, remember he got off to a great start last year and then had the uh, suffered the concussion and played through it for months and, and was never right. They eventually had to shut him down. And so I think, <clears throat> I think we have to look at his numbers last year and, and we have to adjust our expectations based on Oh, what was happening there? Like it's it's his reaction times were slowed by the 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 concussion symptoms. So he wasn't right, and we should give him a pass for that. And I still think there's a chance Anthony Rizzo can perform like a middle of the order bat. Also, Anthony Volpe could take a huge step forward in year two. I'm not confident it's gonna happen, but a player with that pedigree who was at least serviceable as a rookie, it would be far from the most surprising thing. So I consider the Yankees a, a sleeper lineup to not only be decent, but potentially very good. Yeah, and I see a comment on YouTube saying, how could the Yankees be a sleeper? Well, based on what they did last year, they were 25th in run scored. So uh, if anyone just looks at that, and again, looks at the counting stats from some of the Yankees players from last year, I think most people realize, yes, they are going to be much better, obviously adding a potential MVP candidate in Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo. Two things that they needed desperately in this lineup. They needed lefties, and they needed contact-oriented bats. And that's exactly what they got with both Juan Soto uh, and Alex Verdugo. You mentioned Anthony... I, I, I didn't mention Stanton. Uh, you don't need to mention him. No, he could still be <laughs> He could still be a 30-homer guy easily. I mean, his exit velocities are as good as they've always been. That guy is just being held together by the strongest duct tape in the world. I mean, watching him run the bases last year was painful. I hope and pray that whatever he did this offseason to get himself either in shape 
more flexible, whatever it might be. I mean, the guy was just so <laughs> stiff. So I, I hope that we can was see he like hitting tires like he was last off season. Oh gosh, I, he's been doing that since, uh, every off season since he was like ten years old. It looks like, but I know people were flipping out on Twitter because of he was shirtless and swinging about at tires or something like that. No, I mean. So- do you remember that? Oh, yes. I know okay. he's done that. I, I hope he's not doing that anymore. I mean, <laughs> he needs to take a page out of Aaron Judge's book, maybe do some of that yoga and, and whatever, enhance flexibility. We need you to stay on the field, Stan. That's what needs to happen. The projected lineup, according to Roster Resource, DJ LeMahieu up at the top. I think there's a chance that Verdugo could lead off against righties, maybe LeMahieu against lefties but probably one of those two. Aaron Judge batting second, Juan Soto third, Anthony Rizzo, Glaber Torres, Alex Verdugo, Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Volpe, and Austin Wells. Glaber Torres, by the way, entering a contact year, uh, contract year. And Rizzo, I did want to mention the numbers beforehand, Scott, because yep. you, you brought up how they were good. They were really good. 304 yep. batting average, 11 homers, 880 OPS before that concussion he suffered with a collision with uh, Fernando Tatis. And then what were they after that? Uh, I didn't write those down because they were just really bad, but (laughs) uh, the numbers before were awesome. Uh, I think he hit somewhere around 200 after the injury. What What was the day? It was May 28th. Okay, yeah, I see he missed some time after that. So, yeah, after the concussion, he hit 172 with one home run in 46 games. Yeah, clearly it was not right. But if he's himself... Again, watch out. We, we could get a, a big year all around for the New York Yankees. My number three breakout lineup here. We're going way down the list here, Scott. I mean, I, I really took the term dark horse literally here because uh, we're scraping the bottom what? of the barrel. But the Giants? Not the Giants, but... The Athletics? <laughs> never the Oakland A's. That is never the answer. Um. The Detroit Tigers, who were 28th in runs scored last year, and... I'll fully admit, Scott, I think this could be more of a second-half breakout than anything. I think maybe could take some time for Riley Green to get going. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery on his non-throwing arm, so should be ready to go by spring training and opening day. Uh, I've got a news item coming up in the news and notes. Sounds like everything's good for Riley Green, but maybe you give him some time to, to get going. And I think that we could see some of their main prospects up at some point, and that could really help them flourish in the second half. Guys like Colt Keith, Justin Henry Malloy, and I think Jace Young. I think there's a chance we could see Jace Young in the second half of the season as well. We got breakout seasons from Torkelson and Kerry Carpenter in 2023. I think Parker Meadows has some upside as well. Uh, I'm going out on a bit of a limb here, Scott, but maybe more so in the second half, I I could see some big things coming for the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, I mean, how how good do you think they could really be? I'm happy you asked that because I wrote down, if everything works out, I think they can get into the top half of the league in scoring. Okay, I mean, if that's all you're aiming for. That, that would I, be I, a, thought, I thought we were talking like top five overall potential. That would be a huge breakout, though, for the Detroit Tigers sure. to go from 28th it, to like 15th. That's pretty it big. Would be, yeah, I mean, that, that would be... That would be a step forward, and it would mean a lot went right for Riley Green. and You chose all my Jerry. answers, Scott. I wanted the Cardinals. <laughs> I wanted the Yankees. <laughs> There's only so many lineups that could break out as top five. Yeah, uh, No, that's fair enough. I mean, part of the issue for the Tigers is they have, like, arguably the most home run suppressing ballpark. And so even their talented hitters, it 
it really holds back their production. But I think there are four hitters on the Tigers that I could get excited about for fantasy. Spencer Torkelson, Kerry Carpenter, Riley Green, and he who has yet to be called up, Colt Keith. So, yeah. If those four make good on their upside, then maybe maybe they can sneak it to the top half and run scored. Yep. And again, it's probably more of a 2025 breakout where, you know, some of their prospects, they get their legs underneath them a little bit. You know, they they dabble with some playing time this year and then 2025 is the real breakout. But again, second half, I could see some big things coming here for the Detroit Tigers. Let's hit some news and notes, Scott. And this one kind of flew under the radar over the weekend, but apparently the Dodgers will likely employ a six-man starting rotation in 2024. And that comes according to Andy McCullough of The Athletic. And it does make some sense. Yoshinobu Yamamoto coming over from Japan where they only pitch once per week. Tyler Glass now has an extensive injury history. Bobby Miller is a young starting pitcher. Walker Bueller is coming back from his second Tommy John surgery. And get ready for next year when Shohei Otani is going to require a six-man rotation anyway. Yeah. Does this worry you at all when drafting Dodgers starting pitchers? Obviously, the investment is pretty high on all four of those names that I just mentioned. I think they're all going in the top 30 starting pitchers, but obviously it could limit some volume and, and two-star weeks. What do, you, what do you make of the Dodgers rotation? Well, a little bit. I don't think it really changes how I'm going to approach Yoshinobu Yamamoto because I just think he's going to be so good that we'll be happy to get one, star week, one start weeks out of him. Not that he'll never have a two-star week as a two-star pitcher, but, you know, they're not going to be as frequent, obviously. Uh, same thing with Tyler Glass now. It might dampen enthusiasm for Bobby Miller a little bit, at least in terms of, okay, do I prefer Bobby Miller to Yuri Perez or Grayson Rodriguez? Where does he fit in that group of sophomore standouts? And it might drop him to the back of the list for me. I have Emmett Sheehan as a sleeper for this year. And, you know, it dampens enthusiasm a little bit a little for him too. But it's a rotation full of big bat missers. And I think in this environment, they're going to be so useful that I'm not sure we're going to sweat their lack of two-start status. Of course, you will more in a points league where strikeouts aren't as important anyway, but less so in a roto league. And I'll also add that while it, it works in theory, it may be hard to maintain over the full season. You know, the Angels line of the past few years, they were kind of forced to maintain it because they weren't going to jeopardize Shohei Otani uh, by, by having him start a day earlier than usual. But I, I don't know that without him obviously being in the pitching mix this year, I don't know that it's going to force the Dodgers' hand in the same way it did for the Angels, where they were having to mix in some really scrubby starters at times to keep it to keep a six-man rotation going. I will point out the Dodgers do have a lot of interesting pitching depth. You know, Kyle Hurt, I like a lot. He may wind up in the bullpen, but if he doesn't, I don't know. I'm getting some Spencer Strider vibes there, as good as he is at missing bats. Uh, but the relief, the reliever risk is what drops Kyle Hurt off uh, off a lot of prospect rankings. He says in my top 100. I like him a lot. Of course, Garrett, um, Gavin Stone is still kicking around. No pun intended. 
Uh, and, and they, you know, they got Michael Grove, they got Nick Frasso, who's going to be up at some point. They, they have a lot of options to work with, but attrition will kick in at some point. And maybe those options are depleted to the point that it's difficult to go six man. And so they may not stick with it all year. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance. One name you didn't mention in there because he's not the highest upside pitcher is Ryan Yarbrough. I think there's a chance he could work in as well. And I agree. I, I think maybe at times it's not just a straightforward six man rotation, but, you know, in five game weeks, um, obviously that allows them the ability to space guys out a little bit or. They can skip starts here or there. So it, I, I don't know that it will, will be a for sure six-man rotation, but I do think at the end of the season, you probably will see the Dodgers starters with less game starts total compared to other teams just because of the reasons we just mentioned. Felix Bautista would not rule out the possibility of returning before the end of the 2024 season. He underwent Tommy John surgery in October, so it seems highly unlikely, but I do love his optimism. Craig Kimbrell likely to be the closer on opening day for the Orioles. Riley Green, as I mentioned earlier, has been hitting, playing catch, and going through some defensive drills at the Tigers Spring Training Complex in Florida. He's less than four months removed from Tommy John surgery, but it was on his non-throwing elbow, which makes it a much shorter rehab time. So I think, obviously I want to see Riley Green play in spring training and then make sure everything's all right, but everything's kind of trending in the right direction for now. Jaron Duran will not face any limitations during spring training after having surgery on the flexor tendon in his left big toe. Good news for him and my number one breakout lineup. Jonathan Aranda, Scott, Get ready, get hyped. Could be in line to be the strong side platoon at DH for the Tampa Bay Rays. Let's go! Between Aranda and Michael Bush, Scott, over the past week, I mean... Oh, yeah. It's all coming up. Scott White, it's all coming up. 26-year-old stuck in minor league purgatory. (laughs) Finally, their day is coming. And exit velocity, darlings. Slash line, darlings. My darlings, Michael Bush and Jonathan Aranda. Let's go. Jonathan Aranda in the minors last year hit 339 with 25 homers, an OPS over 1,000, 92.2 average exit velocity. Has struggled in the majors. Hopefully, uh, he can start to translate some of that minor league production in 2024. Speaking of the Rays, Jose Caballero is likely to be their opening day shortstop. Last season with the Mariners, he hit 221 with four homers and 26 steals over 104 games. Just a name to know, I think, in much deeper leagues, 15-team Roto Leagues, AL only. Someone for cheap speed. He is a good defender, and I know that the Tampa Bay Rays value that in their middle infielder. So uh, Caballero could be their starting shortstop. Where did you get that note about Jonathan Aranda? I got it on our very own website, Scotty. Okay. Okay, I just wonder how authoritative it is. You know, is it just beat writer speculation? I, I think we could do that. I mean, I could have told you guys, there's a chance Jonathan Aranda is part of a strong side platoon at DH. I just, I just don't want to put too much authority on it and move them way up in my rankings. And then it turns out to be just a bunch of hearsay. And at the same time, I don't want to ignore it because I got to start thinking about Sleepers 2.0, in mm. which case. Mm. Yeah. I do think okay, it's, that's fine. It, it's probably a bit of a spring training battle here, Scott. I mean, I think whoever performs, sure. there's a few names there. Aranda, 
Caminero could work his way into the mix. I think they traded for Richie Palacios if he has a big, big spring. Okay, I, so it's it's just it's status. This is what we've been saying all along. That's right. And actually, the report came from <laughs> it came from Adam Berry, who is the beat reporter for the Rays on MLB.com. So, all right. I'm not sure if he yeah. has more information than you, Scott, but yes. No, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, it's it's good to know that he's not excluding the, the possibility, if nothing else. Cubs manager Craig Council indicated that Christopher Morell will likely to be ki- likely continue to be used at, in a super utility role rather than focusing on one position. There is an impact player here, Scott. If we can get everyday playing time at bats some way, somehow... Last year, Morell in 107 games hit 26 homers with six steals. There mm-hmm. is a lot of strikeouts in the profile, but big stat cast numbers. We're talking 92 mile per hour exit velocity, 15.5% barrel rate, 81st percentile sprint speed. I, there is a, an outcome where we're talking about 35 home runs and 15 steals. It's not crazy if Morell could play every day. Uh, yeah, it is a big if, especially if they go bring in another corner infielder, whether it's Reese Hoskins or Matt Chapman or somebody like that, to start opposite of Michael Bush. Uh, I will also point out that production from Christopher Morrell was pretty front-loaded. He came up, remember, and hit nine home runs in his first 12 games with the Cubs. And thereafter, Christopher Morrell, let's see what the numbers actually were. Thereafter, Christopher Morrell hit 227 with 17 homers and a 735 OPS in 95 games. So, you know, just, just putting it in perspective, I, I do like how Artie hits the ball, but those strikeouts could be, uh, what's the word? They could be, they Pro- could up, up in 10. Prohibitive? Prohibitive. That was exactly the word I was trying to think of. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's possible. I think the strikeouts, again, could lead to some streakiness, but look, maybe not the best head-to-head player on a weekly basis, but he might, Morel just might be one of those guys in a roto league where you plug him in, at the end of the season, you look up, boom, 30 home runs, 15 steals. I don't think it's crazy. One of the Cubs' top prospects, Matt Shaw, is apparently focusing on third base this winter, which does make sense. He was drafted last year as a middle infielder, and there's lots of hype around Matt Shaw. But the Cubs already have Dansby Swanson at shortstop. They have Nico Horner at second base. So I think third base makes sense for Matt Shaw. Last year in the minors, much like Wyatt Langford, not to the same extent, but Matt Shaw, small sample, he crushed it, man. 357, eight homers, 15 steals, 10, 18 OPS. Matt Shaw is your number 38 prospect in your top 100, Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like him a lot. Obviously, we need to see more, but he did. He made a big impact even at higher levels as a as a you know guy just making his professional debut after the draft. It the, the package kind of reminds me of Bo Bichette because there isn't like a lot of raw power and speed, but there's a great hit tool that helps him to maximize both of those in a way we saw from Bichette early in his career. Not saying Matt Shaw is going to be a first rounder in fantasy someday the way Bo Bichette was, but just to give you something to dream on, that would be a comp I'd use for him. All right. The international signing period has started, which means a new crop of prospects from all over the world can now sign with major league teams. And international prospects, 
have been a little bit of a letdown, Scott, the past handful of years, I would say. Of course, last year we did get Ethan Salas, who rocketed up prospect rankings in the Padre system, of course. But it sounds like there are four names that could be very popular ones in first-year player drafts. And this is just based on some things that I read and I heard on other podcasts. But Leo DeVries, uh, who signed with the Padres, Paulino Santana with the Rangers, Jose Perdomo with your Atlanta Braves, Scott. Lots of hype around that kid. And Fernando <laughs> Cruz with the Cubs. These are all 17-year-old kids. We're probably not going to see them in the majors for four or five years, um, the earliest. But again, for those who play in Dynasty Leagues, those are, I think, the names that you're going to need to know. And what's this? Breaking news, Scott. The one, the only... Ty Buttry is back and has signed a minor league deal with the Mariners. Ty Buttry, you say? That's right. Frank, I once knew a man named Lorenzo. Last name gained like mine, only spelled differently. No E. You may have heard reports of me, Michael Gain, retiring from acting, and I must confess it's true, which has left me time to pursue other endeavors. So I went to the store one day to buy some apples. You might presume I wanted red apples, but really I wanted red, green, yellow, blue, every kind of apple there is to be had for a certain apple stew I learned to make during my time in the Pacific Northwest. The thought of it made me so hungry that I had to get something to eat. So I walked on over to the bakery, a part of the store, where they were serving people breakfast right there in the store. I walked up to the counter and was met by a young man, no more than 19. He said to me, Hello, sir. What can I get for you today? I said to him, Well, nothing more, nothing would please me more, sir, than a simple piece of toast. He said to me, Well, that shouldn't be too difficult. I said to him, Do you know the right way to make it, though? He said to me, I've been doing this since I was nine years old. I think I know how to make a slice of toast. But you see, I already told you he was no more than 19, and I'm not sure 10 years is enough to make toast up to my specifications. Every toast, I tell him, every toast of bread consists of three parts, or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The server shows you something ordinary, such as a slice of bread, the second act is called the toast. The surfer turns that ordinary something and makes it into something extraordinary. But you shouldn't clap yet because that would, because making something go into the toaster isn't enough. You have to bring it back. He said to me, would you presume, sir, I'd leave it in the toaster all day? I said to him, no, sir, not you perhaps, but some men aren't looking for anything logical, like a perfectly toasted slice of bread. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the toast burn. He said to me, got it, no burnt toast in. Would you like that with strawberry jam? I said to him, no, sir. I prefer my toast, buttery. Welcome back, Ty Buttery. If you know, you know. Another instant classic from Michael Caine, a.k.a. Scott White. I would venture to say I haven't heard, or I don't remember every single one of these that you've ever done, Scott. 
That's probably the longest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not in a bad Sorry, way. No, I'll, no, no. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll make it tighter next time. Geez. No, not in a bad People way. People beg I'm... me all for weeks to do it, and I finally break it out. Ah, it's too long. <laughs> I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm, I'm commending you for staying in character for as long as you did. Okay. Instant classic. Love it. All right, let's take our final break. When we return, we will talk about some position updates on CBS, as well as our favorite formats to play in. We'll do that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back in. Let's break down some of the positional updates on CBS. What does that mean exactly? Just talking through some of the players uh, where they might have new positions in 2024. They might not have had these positions in years past. It might be a surprise to some people. Some people might already know this. So it's just kind of a refresher, a reminder for 2024 seasons. Bryce Harper, Scott, is only first base eligible. Last year was mostly only DH eligible. In years past, it was outfield. Now it's only first base for Bryce Harper. Mookie Betts has both second base and outfield eligibility. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., no more third base. He's shortstop only. Fernando Tatis, no more shortstop. He's outfield only. Jazz Chisholm, only outfield as well. And Max Muncy, someone who used to have, you know, at times three different eligibilities, third base only. Those were, I think, the biggest names that I could find. Is there anything off the top of your head that, that I missed or stands out as a, a reminder, a healthy reminder on a certain player's position? Well, you know how good I am off the top of my head, Frank. <laughs> it's okay if you don't have an answer. Uh, hmm. No, not off the top of my head. I could sit here and hem and haw about it for a while, but I think we've wasted enough of the folks, the fine folks' time. I really, so, did, I really didn't mean it in a bad way, Scott. No, the, it's, uh, fine. it's fine. <laughs> the, the Michael Caine thing. I actually was commending you. Uh, the utility-only bats... These are typically players that I think fall down draft boards because they just don't have a position. And I mean, guess what? You, you do have a utility spot in your lineup. So maybe these names are being overlooked. Shohei Otani, kind of a different breed. We know the deal. He's going to be a late first, early second round pick in most drafts. He's the top utility only bat. 
But then we get down to Marcelo Zuna, who has an ADP of 155 over the past month. Eloy Jimenez with an ADP of 224.8 over the past month. J.D. Martinez, an ADP of 225.4 over the past month. And then we get Byron Buxton, who does plan to play center field, so probably will earn outfield eligibility early on in the season. Other utility-only bats, Joey Meneses, Andrew McCutcheon, Heston Kierstad, and Mark Vientos. Uh, outside of Otani, Scott, the big three, we see Marcelo Zuna, Eloy Jimenez, J.D. Martinez. All of those draft costs that I mentioned seem very reasonable for all of those players. Uh, they seem kind of insane, insanely low. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm, I find myself dra- drafting a lot of Marcelo Zuna early on, going out beyond top... Eh. Going beyond pick 150, uh, and that's for a guy... Look, I understand Marcelo Zuna has had his ups and downs over the years, and I might even put him in bust 1.0 because I, I recognize how unpredictable he could be from year to year. But he is coming off a year in which he hit 40 homers and drove in 100 runs. And that was after just an absolutely dreadful April. It's the only reason his numbers were that low from... From May 1st to the end of last season, the final five months, Marcelo Zuna hit 297 with 38 of the 40 home runs at 969 OPS. I mean, he was a monster. And now you're getting him uh, pick 155. I mean, let me see, like, who, who, what other hitters are going in that range? Can't be, can't be anybody that good. So, see, he's going just after Ian Happ. Uh, Jorge Soler's going in that range. He's kind of another guy who's pretty inconsistent from year to year. Um, Luis, know, Alex, Luis Arise is another bat around there. Jake Berger. Yeah. I mean, these are some pretty useful hitters. So maybe it's not insane, but like obviously they don't have that upside that Marcelo Zuna does where like he could he could be more than just a bit player for your team. Ozuna, by the way, his... Statcast numbers last year, 284 XBA, 583 X slug, 91.8 average exit velocity, 16% barrel rate. My goodness. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll say this for Ozuna, even though he has been inconsistent, the bad years have been harder to explain than the good years. I mean, the 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 data always makes it look like like the data makes it out to be that Marcel Ozuna should be his 2024 self. Most every year. I mean, sorry, he's 2023 South most every year. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Ozuna has been around forever. He's not terribly old. 33 years old, that's... I, I think you could still have another prime season in there. He hits in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball, too. Kind of talking myself into Marcelo Ozuna as well. Eloy Jimenez, he has to stay on the field. Obviously, that's been a huge issue for, uh, issue for him. J.D. Martinez, maybe a little bit... Uh, deflated in the ADP just because he hasn't signed yet. But wherever he goes, guess what? He's going to play. He's going to be the starting DH. So uh, my guess is that we'll probably move up a little bit after we find out what team Martinez is playing for. It's hard to keep that utility spot open for these guys. I understand it, but this seems excessive, especially since we're, we're using fantasy. We've been using, I'm sorry, and we've been using NFBC ADP where you're mostly talking 15 team Roto leagues. And, you know, you're going to have in a 15 team Roto League 14 hitter spots to fill. There's going to be a not so good option in a spot or two. 
Yeah. So I, I don't know why, oh, I got to keep DH open to, to, so that I, I don't block a good hitter. Uh, you're not going to fit. You're not going to have a lineup full of good hitters anyway. in a league that deep, that makes it all the more strange. All right. The Sparps for this upcoming season. These are starting pitchers who have relief pitcher eligibility and kind of a cheat code. If you're playing head to head points leagues, you could plug starting pitchers into your relief pitcher spots. Um, not the best group, I would say. Uh, I feel like it's kind of been trending that way the past couple of years, Scott. But obviously, the number one spark this year, your boy, Cole Reagans. Followed by Michael King with the Padres, Nick Pavetta, Frankie Montas, who's now on the Reds, Chris Paddock, who is on the Twins, Sean Manaya signed with the Mets, Zach Littell, did flash a little bit with Tampa Bay down the stretch. Uh, Nick Martinez could be a starting pitcher for the Reds. Ross Stripling, eh, Johnny Brito could start for the Padres, eh, but uh, really the I would say the top the top three, maybe the top five names on this list: Scott Reagan's, King, Pavetta, Montas, Paddock could have some RP yeah. value. Yeah, I would imagine in in those five will be drafted in virtually all head-to-head points leagues. Maybe not a 10-teamer, but anything deeper than that. Anything where, say, 250 or more players are rostered, given the advantage that being able to slot a full-time starter into a relief pitcher spot does for you in that point-scoring format. It's not to say they're all going to be mainstays for you that you roster for the entire, entire year. I mean... Reagan's, yes, I expect that of him, though obviously there's a health concern there. Michael King, same thing. There's a health concern. Nick Pavetta. Those three, Reagan's, King, Pavetta. I like them enough that I could draft them expecting to keep them on my roster all season. In fact, Reagan's and Pavetta are both listed on my sleep. They're they're part of my sleepers 1.0. Montas, of course, he's been that kind of pitcher in the past without having relief pitcher eligibility, so he could do it again. Paddock, same thing. Paddock in particular, you know, he was pitching, I think, with his elbow less than 100% for a long time leading up to the surgery. And you go back and look what he did as a rookie. People thought he was one of the next aces. And he looked great coming back from Tommy John surgery last year, pitching out of the bullpen, multiple multi-inning stints, uh, the velocity was very impressive for Chris Paddock and were the actual numbers. They were good, I'll tell you that much. So in five innings, he struck out eight, walked only one. Obviously a tiny sample, but reason to be encouraged for Chris Paddock, especially given his history. All right, and then we have three players who should earn an additional position of eligibility early on in the season Vaughn Grissom is shortstop only for now. Sounds like he's going to be the starting second baseman for the Red Sox. Gavin Lux is second base only. Should earn shortstop eligibility with the Dodgers. And this is the kind of loophole, potential cheat code, Scott. Henry Davis, outfield only for now. But I think he's going to earn catcher eligibility. We look at the Pirates' depth chart. They lost Andy Rodriguez who's going to miss the entire season due to injury. And the only other catcher that they have right now in their 40-man roster is someone named Ali Sanchez. I don't know anything about that guy. Uh, To be honest, I didn't even know he existed before I looked at their roster resource page. So 
I think Henry Davis, who was drafted as a catcher, will at least be the team's starting catcher at the beginning of the season. I don't know that he'll... I don't know. Like, they, they don't trust him behind the plate. That much is clear. They weren't ready to abandon that completely. He never made an appearance behind the plate as a rookie last year, but it was always with the understanding, okay, he will go back there at some point. I think it's going to be more of a hybrid role, but he'll get enough starts at catcher that we'll be able to use him there before the end of April. I mean, the, which is all we care about in fantasy, right? Like we'd we'd rather him have catcher eligibility and not play catcher so much because that means he's starting more often. That means he's exposed to less injury risk and just wear and tear in general. Uh, so it's a good scenario. Don't get me wrong. I would be surprised if he was starting four games a week at catcher, though. Okay, I did make a mistake. I said Ali Sanchez was the only other catcher on their 40-man roster. They also have Jason DeLay, who's on the 40-man roster, so I guess there's a chance if they just want to go defense only and they just don't want to use Henry Davis as a catcher, that is possible, but uh, I I think they're going to give Henry I mean, Davis a shot, and again, it's... The offseason isn't over either. It's true. Yeah, I mean, they could bring in, I, I don't know, whoever, Gary Sanchez or something to, to be their starting catcher. Let's wrap up, Scott, with our favorite formats to play in fantasy baseball. We've, you know, gotten different variations of this question, but people like to hear what kind of leagues we play in and and what our favorite might be. So uh, I'll I'll throw it to you. I mean, you can list off the different types of formats that you play in, Scott. I know we both play in probably way too many leagues, ten plus fantasy leagues. But which mm-hmm. one's your favorite? What's your favorite format? My favorite format is dynasty. Like if I just had to put a single word on it. I'm really into the dynasty leagues these days. I, I When I first started playing fantasy baseball, and this was year 2000 was my first year doing it, so we're going back a long time at this point, I was a very active trader. I was tra- trying to make at least a trade a week, basically, and, and generally succeeding. It was, it was much easier to trade in those days, I'll also say. Um, I wrote a whole article about that last summer. You should go check it out. It's pretty good. But as I took on this job, as I was required to play in more and more leagues every year, and as trading got to be more difficult, I'm to the point now where in my redraft leagues, I don't trade much at all. It's just too much work for too little reward. Uh, If somebody makes me an offer, great, I'll consider it. But I'm not sitting there actively dreaming up offers most of the time, which is unfortunate. I missed that part of the game, but like it became a chore. So I... Stop trading so much. Dynasty leagues, different story. Dynasty leagues, you're always thinking about next year. You're always looking to maximize value uh, because you don't want to squander anything when when you have that long-term year-to-year perspective. And so I still make a lot of trades in that format. And I find it's easier to make trades in that format too because it's, it's less about kind of outsmarting the other guy and more about playing to each other's needs, which can be very different depending on what state of contention you're in. And there's a reason we talk about the Scott White Dynasty League 2014 head-to-head points league in this on this podcast so much is because that's probably my favorite overall. That was kind of my dream Dynasty League that I put together. Um, I'm really happy with the way the economy works in that league, just kind of emulating how uh, how call-ups are more or less free for the first few years of their career and then their salary starts escalating and it's 
it, that's my favorite league, but really I'm, I'm in a couple other dynasty type leagues and I, I just, I prefer them in general. I find them to be, I, I, I find them to be more engaging on the whole. Now, if you're talking about scoring format, I still would say my fondness is for head to head points leagues. It got to be harder during the juice ball era to enjoy it so much because there were so many, they tend to be shallower head to head points leagues and there were so many hitters to go around and so few quality pitchers to go around. And it just seemed like it became an exercise and who could get the aces first. But now that things have kind of normalized and, and high end pitching has dropped off. It's, it's more, it's, it's, it's more of this glob thing in, in the pitching ranks where there is more, need to differentiate yourself at the hitter positions. I, I do still f- prefer head-to-head points leagues. I feel like it's a cleaner game. I feel like it rewards players in a way that's more equivalent to real life. And I feel like it keeps people invested all season long. Um, you could get that from a head-to-head categories league too, but I think trying to compete in ratios on a week-to-week basis, there's too much... Too much, too many wild fluctuations that can happen with a team ERA, for instance, or a team batting average on a week-to-week basis that it isn't felt as much in a points league because there are ways like a guy could hit 150 in a week, but there's extra base hits and and there's you know maybe he walks a lot. There there are ways that he can overcome that easier than in a categories league. So I think overall, I still prefer head-to-head points leagues, but. No, I enjoy all of them to an extent, all the major formats. Yeah, I think that was really well said, Scott. I would agree that I, I think just boiling it down to there are three main scoring formats in fantasy baseball, head-to-head points, head-to-head categories, and the traditional roto. Now, there are some other ones outside of that. There are score sheet leagues and all kinds of different variations and stuff like that. I would agree that head-to-head points is still my favorite. I mean, that's how I started playing fantasy baseball as well. I think for anyone who is just starting to play fantasy baseball, if you're coming over from like a fantasy football league, it's very easily translatable. I mean, you just get points for what your players do on the field. It's much like fantasy football. But my favorite format actually is the Tout Wars League that I was in. More on that to come. I, I am no longer in that league. Moving over to a different Tout Wars League. But... It was a 12-team auction, head-to-head points, Roto-style lineup. So it goes a little bit deeper into the player pool. There are two catchers, one of each infield position, five outfielders, a corner infielder, a middle, utility bat, and then just nine pitcher spots. Well, rather, it was seven starting pitchers and two relief pitchers, but you could still use Sparp. So theoretically, you could just have nine starting pitchers in your lineup. And what I really liked was being able to set your lineups on both Mondays and Fridays. I really like that aspect. I don't have the wherewithal to play daily lineup leagues and look at 10 different teams every single day. But Mondays and Fridays is reasonable, Scott. And I like the flexibility that it provides and the ability to maybe get players that got hurt midweek out of your lineup. You know, you're not just locked in for a full week. So I I really like that Monday and Friday flexibility. And I I still do really like head-to-head points leagues as well. But as you mentioned, I like all the formats. I, I like... The competitiveness really in roto leagues, a lot of the industry leagues and traditional style leagues, they are, you know, those throwback five by five roto leagues, you know, tout wars and I play in labor and 
We have TGFBI, the great fantasy baseball invitational coming up. Those are 15-team, 5x5 Roto Leagues, and I like the competitive aspect of those leagues. Head-to-head points, probably still my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Roto Leagues too. I just, there's there's something about tradition, you know? I, I feel like our red, our, our, um, our generation scoffs at tradition, but there's something about being able to share in this experience across generations that I find fulfilling in rotisserie leagues. And yeah, it's true that if, you know, it could feel like it's over in August sometimes, but I do think that can be overstated at times too. I mean, if you're 10th, if you're in 10th place in August, you're probably not going to climb to first, but that's also true in a head to head league, right? Uh, the chances of you making the playoffs or if you're that far down in the standings are, are not great. But unless somebody's just totally running away with it, and even if they are, sometimes it can be misleading because they have very small uh, advantages in several different categories, and, 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 and it can change pretty quickly even that late in the season. So, you know, I, I try to just manage my team without stressing about the standings too much, just obviously looking at categories where I can maybe make up ground or lose ground and, and setting my lineups according to that. But if I'm in sixth place in August, you know, not counting myself out necessarily because a lot can still happen at that point. All right. Well, there you go. Those are some of the formats we play in, some of our favorites. Let us know. Uh, you know, tweet at us. Let us know in the the YouTube comments what type of formats you play in, what's your favorite to play in as well. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.